Welcome to a special episode of the ASSP Safety Standards and Tech Pubs podcast. I'm your host, Scott Fowler. As businesses across the country begin to reopen or plan for bringing their people back to the work site amid the COVID-19 pandemic, it's critical that employers and safety professionals determine how they will protect the health of their workers and the public now and into the future. Here with me to discuss some practical strategies for protecting the health of your workers and the public during this pandemic and beyond is Deb Roy. Deb is president of SafeTech Consultants Incorporated, providing safety consulting for global clients, and has more than 35 years of occupational safety and health experience. Deb is also president-elect of ASSP. We would like to note before we begin that the information shared in this podcast is based on the information and data available as of May 11, 2020. As the situation continues to change rapidly, please refer to the latest guidance from your local or state public health and government authorities. And with that, I'd like to uh, welcome on Deb. Uh, Deb, welcome back. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. As I, as I mentioned at the top, we've you've seen in the news, you know, a lot of businesses across the country beginning to reopen or starting to to plan for bringing their people back to work. So as part of that planning process, what are the most important elements that need to be in an organization's reopening or reentry plan to continue to protect their workers and the public as they reopen or when they reopen in the future? So first of all, I think what your planning needs to address is how you set expectations. So for example, um, first of all, start with general hygiene practices. Um, We've all heard what needs to be done in terms of protecting us from COVID-19, but as an organization, it's important in the plan to set expectations. So for example, um, we know that it's not a good idea to shake hands, what other alternatives are you going to suggest for your employees um, so that they actually do do the social distancing um, that you want to have happen? Um, what are your expectations for frequency of hand washing, for example, and coughing into your sleeve and so forth? So all of those kind of general hygiene practices, um, it's important to set expectations as the first step. Um, and then uh, address your social distancing strategy. So using the hierarchy of controls, hopefully, you would then address what are you doing to the physical space to actually um, allow for social distancing. And then as you work your way down through the hierarchy of controls, what strategies do you have for each of those levels of control Um, to actually allow employees to socially distance in that, uh, in your facilities. Uh, Third, I think you need to consider your local regulations. Um, And there's a myriad of regulations uh, in the U.S., um, even down to the local level, not even at the state level. In other countries, I think it's, it's more specific to the country for the most part. Um, but in the U.S., uh, it's a mishmash of regulations. So make sure that for each of your facilities, you know what the requirements are for that particular area. So, for example, is there a requirement that everyone wear a cloth face covering um, the whole time they're working? Uh, that may be the case in some communities. And then are there limits on gathering size? So, for example, if you're limited to a gathering size of 10 people, 
then you need to be sure there's no um, activity within the organization where you're going to have more than 10 people. Or is it a 50 or 100 or 250 number? So whatever that number is, that would be important. That also would apply to do you use the conference rooms or uh, do you block off the conference rooms if they're smaller ones, for example. Um, so all of those sort of pieces need to be in your plan specific to the regulations. Um, and those regulations may actually um, change over time. So address those changes in the plan. And keep in mind that this plan may need to be fluid because those directions uh, from authorities may change over time as well. The next is really um, thinking about employee health monitoring. Now, not all organizations are going to um, do employee health monitoring, but think about how you're going to do it, if you're going to do it, and are you going to use um, a specific technology? If so, what technology are you going to use? Um, next would be having a plan for handling sick or exposed employees uh, or contractors. So if somebody gets sick during the day, uh, or they show up to work uh, sick, how do you address that? How do you address contractors? Um, there may be different types of contractors. You may have embedded contractors on your sites. You may also have periodic contractors, people that are doing deliveries or doing short-term tasks at the site. So think about how you're going to manage all of those people. Um, the next would be cleaning and disinfecting. So not only how are you going to deal with cleaning and disinfecting if somebody gets sick at work uh, and addressing their workspace, but also how are you going to do cleaning and disinfection overall? What's going to be routine? Um, what kinds of high-touch surfaces are going to be clean? How are they going to be clean? Who's going to do that work? Um, how frequently are those uh, high-touch areas going to be clean? Um, so... Again, the guidance varies uh, in terms of the, the local uh, requirements, as well as from uh, CDC or WHO. So think about what would work for that organization. Um, if, for example, you have a lot of people that are touching the same surfaces, then you may need to do much more frequent cleaning than if they're occasionally touched. And then you want to think about high-risk employees. High-risk employees may not be able to go back into the, the regular workplace depending on their circumstances. Or are there ways that you could uh, accommodate them so they would be safe to go back to work? Um, so that plan uh, needs to be addressed for those employees that are at high risk. This is something that's going to go on for a period of time. This is not going to be over in a month. And so consequently, there really needs to be a plan for how do you address uh, high-risk employees. You may need them. So how are you going to actually include them in a safe way? Next would be the communications plan. Having a, an ongoing plan, not only for uh, day one or um, expectations of day one in that facility, but also what's going to happen over time in terms of communications. So planning that out ahead of time, what kind of information are people going to need and when do you think they're going to need it uh, specific to working in the facility related to COVID-19. 
Uh, and then after you've looked at all of those pieces and, and I've identified how you're going to address them, think about it from a, um, a phased standpoint. So what do you need for the initial setup for phase one? Uh, day one, people re-entering the workplace. Um, or if it's a, a um, critical infrastructure business, you may have some people in the business, but not all of them. So how would you bring people back? Um, so I would say day one is one phase. And then you would start to think about what data points would cause you to move from that phase one to another phase. So for example, it may be a regulatory um, data point where the state allows you to start increasing people over time in the facility, or it may be a data point of when you can, from a facility standpoint, start to uh, separate workstations, for example. So whatever that data point is, that should be in your plan. And then the one thing I want to be sure that people think about is what is the long-term strategy? This particular virus is going to be with us for a while. I think we have to assume it's going to be a year and a half to two years where, uh, at least, where we're dealing with the social distancing needed uh, until we have enough people that have uh, been able to access a vaccine. So the fact is that if you think about something that's going to be in place for that period of time, what else do we need to do to create a touchless space? So, for example, door handles. Um, what could you do to keep people from having to keep touching door handles that would still allow the security in the facility? What could you do in terms of things like faucets in bathrooms or um, flushing toilets. So those kind of basic things, any other types of activities that you do within the workplace where you have a lot of people sign off on documents, is there a way to do that electronically on their own electronic device? Do you need to think about having duplicates of tools and other equipment or electronic equipment that each person can use as opposed to shared equipment? So all of those things should be considered as part of your plan and thought through in terms of what's the strategy and then what's the timeline for addressing those particular issues. Absolutely. That was great. I think that gives a really great overview of all the things that organizations need to think about as they plan for reopening. Now, I know things can be different for different industries. So are there specific considerations for certain industries as to the steps they should take as they reopen or before reopening and bringing people back to work? I, I think there are a variety of them. Um, the biggest variation I see is um, what I've talked about so far was employees and contractors. Um, if you're a business that has customers uh, in your workspaces, I think that's a whole other level that you need to consider. How are your customers going to interact with the business and how would you do that in a safe way? Do you now have to have barriers between an employee and the customer? And a lot of businesses that are starting to open up um, are figuring that out where they're having plexiglass barriers, for example, with slots at the bottom that allow people to push something through. 
those may be uh, something that become typical in businesses. Um, how are you going to deal with, you know, everything from a retail store? How are you going to deal with uh, returns? Um, how are you going to deal with people trying on clothing? You know, so there's a myriad of different businesses that really have to think through how they're going to interact with the public. Is there a better way to interact with the public? Is video conferencing an opportunity if it's an information sort of component? Is there another way to think about how uh, you experience uh, working with a customer? Look at what's happened in terms of even restaurants doing curbside pickup and retail stores doing that. I, I really do think a lot of those kinds of services are going to evolve over time. And I think customers are going to have different expectations than they had previously. So all of those things are going to have to change from the standpoint of the health and safety of not only those employees, but also those customers. The other sort of things to think about in terms of um, different industries, I mentioned earlier, critical infrastructure may be operating now, but they may not have their full complement of employees. So how are you going to bring back, for example, the office workers in a critical infrastructure? You may actually have manufacturing or distribution operating right now, but you may have office workers who are teleworking. So how do you bring them back? And what if they don't want to come back? <laughs> what is the plan? Because the fact is some people are going to be fearful for a long time and they may or may not be high risk. So I think all of those kinds of things just need to be addressed based on that business. And there's going to be some variation based on the industry. There's going to be variation based on the geographic area and the local regulations as well. Um, the, I think what is going to happen in a lot of businesses is the, the long-term plan for teleworking is going to change. Um, and ultimately, that's actually going to change how businesses think about master planning, for example. So if you think about, you know, if I normally have 5,000 people in an office and telework is allowing me to have productivity with my employees, why would I spend the money to keep paying for you know, the heat and lights and, and the cost of space if half of them can work from home. So I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this evolves over time. Definitely. That's that's a really good point. Now, uh, something you mentioned a little bit earlier as part of the planning process is monitoring workers' health as they return to work to ensure that the virus doesn't spread. Now, what, what are some steps employers can take to monitor workers' health as they return to the work site and into the future? I know with, with COVID-19, there are a lot of different symptoms. So what are some of the best ways employers and safety professionals can monitor that? Well, uh, already uh, some employers that have uh, critical infrastructure operations or essential services have been doing some um, health checks with employees and uh, some are doing uh, temperature checks. So they're checking for fever and there are a whole variety of, of ways that's being done. Um, some are using no touch uh, thermometers. And so that may continue with other employers in the future. The other piece of that is really to look at symptoms. And one of the things to keep in mind is that CDC keeps evolving the definition 
of the symptoms of COVID-19. So they made more changes again uh, last Friday on the 8th that just got posted on the weekend. And so keep in mind that you will need to uh, pay attention to the CDC website to see how they evolve those symptoms. And the reason they're evolving is because the research is now coming up. We've had a number of months now since the COVID-19 disease has um, reared its head. And so the, the fact is there's more information. And so you will have to have a means of updating your, uh, your symptom list um, that you use for employees. So just be aware of that. So those two pieces I think are gonna be pretty common. EEOC did allow for uh, that te- the temperature checks to occur uh, in the US. So there is guidance on that. The key with this is to um, keep the information confidential. So what you don't want to do is call out, you know, Joe, your temperature is this, Scott, your temperature is that. (laughs) What you want to do is actually um, either quietly or just show the individual what their temperature is and then have uh, the cutoff. The CDC cutoff is is 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit. So at that temperature, um, that would preclude that individual from going into the workplace or if they have the symptoms. Now, here's one of the problems. We have heard, uh, and this has happened in the meat and poultry processing plants that now have a number of cases, and I'm sure it's happened in other uh, critical infrastructure facilities, people have used Tylenol to actually reduce their temperature um, so that they can still go to work. So it's really important to have policies in place for every employer of how you address Uh, somebody that's sick so that they are protected uh, in this situation and they don't feel the need to come to work Um, Mm -hmm. because you don't want sick people in the workplace. Somebody that's symptomatic that has a fever at that point is shedding a lot of virus and they're going to impact a lot of other people uh, and and you're going to have a a local spreading event. So it's really important to actually make sure that people have – um, the means to stay home in that circumstance. The other things that are that employers are doing um, to monitor health, um, there's been some kind of creative things that are that are starting to happen. Um, there have been some attestation uh, apps that have been developed, and what that means is somebody would actually check their own temperature at home, and they would also have a list of uh, symptoms that they would evaluate. The company would actually say, do this at a certain point before you come to work, let's say two hours before, and you go on your own device and actually um, go into an app and fill out that information. What that does, it allows uh, the app to actually then give a, let's say, a color, so green, yellow, red, or um, it would have a QR code, and when you go to work, then security or whoever is actually doing the evaluation would actually um, scan that. There's some really cool things that are starting, um, which I think, you know, we're going to see more of that happen. We're starting to see more app-related technology in other countries, and I think we'll continue to see more of it in the U.S. as well. Um, But that's something I thought was pretty cool. That puts the onus on the employee 
to actually then provide the information uh, and to be sure it's accurate. So again, you'll need a policy in place to address what happens if somebody chooses to use a fee reduction technique, for example. Um, and the third piece I think to keep in mind is for larger employers, if you've got an occupational health facility on site, there may be things that you could do to support those, those employees as well. So for example, if indeed somebody has questions about their symptoms, if you've got a telehealth system with your uh, on-site occupational health service, that might, that might eliminate people coming to work um, with those symptoms and just provide good information for employees. Uh, so a lot of companies, in, uh, in order to keep uh, sick employees who, who were contagious out of those facilities, they are using telehealth, just like other physician groups and, uh, are doing. And they're also using uh, telephonic systems so that you can call in and ask questions uh, and get appropriate um, advice. Okay, uh, we touched on this a little bit at the top. You, you discussed you know, the different phases of the planning process. Now, as far as the idea of businesses taking a phased approach for bringing workers back to the job. What are your thoughts on that? And what might such an approach look like? Well, we've already seen a whole variety of, of uh, setups to do that. So for example, um, a company may have A, B, and C shifts. So people work different days of the week. I had talked to one uh, business last week that um, some people are working uh, Monday, Tuesday, and half a Wednesday, and the rest of the people are working Wednesday afternoon and Thursday and Friday. So they've split when those employees are actually in the facility. I've seen others do it week by week. So the A group goes in this week, the B group you know, goes in next week, and they rotate that way. So there have been a lot of different variations. And then depending on what your local government actually um, gives for direction, some places are actually bringing employees back uh, based on percentages. So at the beginning, you may actually only bring back 25%, for example, of the employees in the space. Uh, and then it may go to 50% over some period of time and then 75%. And if that is the case, again, that has to be part of your plan and how are you going to address it? Because you, you know, if you've got multi floors in a facility, you don't want your twenty five percent all be clumped together. Okay. Now, uh, along with uh, the social distancing, there's also the administrative and engineering controls that businesses can put in place to help protect the health of both their workers and the public. You touched on this a little bit earlier with uh, plexiglass barriers and things like that. What are some other examples of those kind of controls that businesses could institute as a regular practice to help prevent the spread of COVID-19 and other illnesses in the workplace? Well, I'll start with engineering controls, since those controls are higher in the hierarchy, the best approach is really to use the HVAC system to increase fresh air in the system. If you can't do that, depending on the weather, opening doors and windows helps. 
I've been asked about pedestal fans. They're not recommended because most people point them towards themselves and their breathing zone. And any aerosols from an asymptomatic employee could then be spread to other employees. So if you want to use fans, I would use them to circulate air, but away from the breathing zone of the employees. Um, So that's pretty important so that you don't actually create more problems than you already start with. The other uh, kind of thing mentioned earlier were just barriers in general, um, and that's sort of the next category. Plexiglass is, is being used by a lot of people. Other people have asked about using things like Visqueen and so forth so that they're plastic curtains. Those may work in the short term if you're trying to get restarted quickly, but that shouldn't be a long-term solution. Keep in mind that can create other hazards as well, and you're going to need to be able to clean it. So plexiglass or other solid materials are probably better. And some plants have actually already figured out they could actually develop rolling plexiglass barriers to move into different places, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, So keep in mind, whatever you use for barriers, they need to be secure and they need not to cause other physical risks. For example, if you're hanging things um, from chains from the ceiling, they need to be really secure. If they are rolling, they need to not be able to tip over. Uh, And if you're just putting a barrier of plexiglass in place, you don't want to be in a situation where somebody has to reach under it and it creates ergonomic issues or they can get caught in a piece of equipment. So those things are really important. Just like all the risks we usually look at from a physical standpoint, those things are important to keep in mind with barriers. And most of the time you will need to have them clean. So that needs to be part of your cleaning process. Another option is really to change the layout. So if you have benches or workstations uh, in a uh, manufacturing plant, distribution facility, that kind of thing. The best thing to do is either alternate so that some of them are left empty if you have the space to do that. Or if it's a manufacturing line, putting barriers in between the two sides of the line. Uh, so if you have a, if you have a line that actually has people on either side of it, putting barriers in between are a good idea. If you don't have the capability of putting barriers between the benches, try to face people away from um, the breathing zones of other people. Because really what we're trying to do is keep those droplets and aerosols from the breathing zone of one person from the person across from them. So alternating or staggering will help to do that. And there's some really good CDC guidance in the meat and poultry processing document that I would highly recommend no matter what industry you're in. There's some really good ideas on layout that could be used by anybody. Uh, And then keep in mind that you want to do some longer term engineering changes over time. If you don't already have touchless doors or faucets or toilets or other devices where sensors could be used instead of touch, now's the time to start thinking about what else could you do. Um, It's going to be a while and we're going to need to keep in mind that these changes are going to need to be made for the long term, just not for a couple of months. And then, you know, for administrative controls that you asked about, there are lots of things that you can do. Uh, Keep in mind, we always want to start with those higher controls because it doesn't require people to make decisions. Um, But administrative controls are, are often the best we can do with 
uh, the situation we're in in a pandemic. So think about how to distance people as much as possible. Uh, depending on the local government requirements, cloth face coverings may be needed uh, by everyone who can wear them. Keep in mind, some people uh, physically can't. And that is still the CDC guidance that cloth face coverings be used whenever you can't maintain the six-foot distance. But the key administrative control is distancing. And that means working away from other people six feet away or more as much as possible. So think about things like, uh, can you put in one-way aisles? Uh, How are you going to deal with staircases? If they're four foot wide staircases, it may not be a big deal to have both people going different directions as long as they don't stop and hang out and talk in the middle. The other thing is some staircases actually have like... um, landings. So somebody could wait at a landing and let somebody else go by. So depending on the layout of the staircases, um, you have some different options. And I have a lot, I've had a lot of people ask me about those kinds of situations. You also want to think about any other services or interactions that happen with people at work. So for example, the time clock or computers where they clock in and out, um, make sure that people can stay six foot Uh, apart, not just front and back, but side to side as well. And the same thing goes for any other equipment on site, things like ATM machines or any other place on a site where people would actually be uh, interacting. You've all seen the decals and the markings on the floor in grocery stores. The same kinds of thing can be done in plants as well to try to keep people separate. You can put aisle markers in and and so forth. So those are administrative controls. Regardless, uh, in a space where you have a bunch of people, you want to think of the six-foot issue. So it's really 36 square feet per person uh, that you would want uh, in a space. So if you have cafeteria or break room or something like that, you want to think about what's the square footage and then how many people can realistically be in that space and still be distance. Now, what some places are doing is they're actually, let's say there's a round table in the cafeteria, they're putting up plexiglass barriers. So they crisscross. And that means at a round table, for example, you might fit four people and they have barriers around it. That's okay. But again, those have to be cleaned. If you have the space to actually spread people out, that's that's a better idea. And obviously, if people are eating, they're going to take their mask down when they're eating. So keeping the separation if they're not in the same household is, is really important. That also brings me to conference rooms. So in many cases, the conference rooms that are small are going to be closed because you won't be able to do the distancing. But if you have larger conference rooms, again, you want to give people those 36 square feet. And although we usually focus on spaces based on life safety code, this is going to be a lot fewer people than life safety code would allow. Some other things to think about, other services that may be on site. You may have on-site health services. You may have on-site employees assistance programs. All of those kinds of programs, again, uh, you need to be set up to do the social distancing as well. And These days, with all of the communications going electronic, telehealth is becoming very common. Although there were a lot of of perceived barriers to that previously, 
now there's telehealth is is readily available. So that could be done in lieu of face-to-face for a lot of those kind of services as well. Think about things that have to be touched. So uh, if you have a water fountains, for example, is there a way to actually have each individual have their own bottle and have a sensor so that they can put their water bottle under the spigot and not touch anything? Um, Or do you need to purchase more tools and equipment so that people don't have to share um, specific tools? And just like in the grocery store, you know, I've done a lot of work in in, um, warehousing and manufacturing. If you have various carts like U-boats that are going to be used throughout, throughout a distribution facility, you can easily put those in a corral and have the handles wiped just like you would with grocery carts. And then each person takes a clean one when they go to use them. So be creative in terms of whatever your space looks like and, and what kinds of challenges you have there. And the last thing I want to mention is for any other type of space that people need to be in, like cafeterias and so forth, use the ideas that you're already seeing from restaurants, for example. Could people do uh, touchless payments and then have food that they order in the morning and they pick up on a particular location, a table, for example, where they don't have to uh, come in contact with another person? Anything you can do in those cases uh, are really critical. Mm. And I'd also want to mention in in other industries like construction or even in some of these other facilities, you might be able to keep people together uh, in small groups. So for example, on a construction site, if you have skilled tradespeople, they may be able to work in small groups. I'm thinking, you know, four or five people and they stay with that group they eat lunch with that group and so forth so that they're not as exposed to everyone on a site. At least that way, there's fewer uh, options of those people having more and more asymptomatic individuals that they're exposed to. Because the fact is there are situations in in most workplaces where at some point you're going to have to come within six feet. And I've had a lot of people ask me about Uh, face shields and so forth, and they're worried about summer and masks getting hot and so forth. All of that is a concern. So keep in mind that if you are in a situation where people need to work within six feet, think about what other levels of protection you can add. Uh, in In this case, it may be PPE, like a face shield added to a cloth face covering, or it may be limiting the time those people are actually exposed to each other. So can you do the task in five minutes instead of a bunch of people standing around and being exposed? So all of the workflow really needs to be considered in that process. Okay, uh, some some great tips, great guidance. Uh, Anything uh, else you'd like to add as we wrap up? Sure. as we move forward, all of us are going to be challenged with new risks that we're going to need to address in workplaces during the pandemic. I'd ask all of you to be creative and think about the fact that this is going to last a while. We're going to be in this for probably a couple of years. So any solutions you come up with, always think about 
what can I do in the short term? And then what options do we have for the long term? Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much again for coming on, Deb. I know this is something that safety professionals in all industries are going to need to address. So they, I hope they take our conversation today and use it to think about how they can protect people's health at their facility uh, now and well into the future. So thank you again. You're welcome. You can find additional information and resources about how you can help prevent the spread of COVID-19 at ASSP.org COVID-19. We hope you've enjoyed this special episode of the ASSP Safety Standards and Tech Pubs podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at ASSP.org and follow us on Twitter at ASSP Safety. We'll see you next time.